In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. From today's gospel passage, the reading about the Gerizim demoniac, we, we learn three lessons, I think, about freedom. There is a false freedom, there's a freedom giver, and there's a true freedom. First, there's a false freedom that isn't really freedom. Think about this uh, poor gentleman. Well, he's free, free to run around naked among the tombs. Nobody tell him, you got to put on some clothes. He's free enough and strong enough to break the chains around his wrists and the shackles around his ankles. He's free to chase off anybody who might bug him or help him. Free to host a legion of friends from the other side. Free, right? But not really. Driven by compunctions and compulsions he could neither comprehend nor control. Well, that's, it's easy to see this sort of possession in others, right? Imperial dictators, AR-15 school invaders, narcissistic celebrities, manipulative politicians, lying spin masters, but it's not as easy to see in ourselves. Jesus' brother James describes a diabolical, hell-driven, demonically inspired wisdom that we're all susceptible to. James in chapter, in James chapter 3 verses 9 through 18 describes the human tongue as set on fire by hell, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, James says, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who were made in the likeness of God. If you have bitter envy and self-ambition, selfish ambition, he says, in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. We are perfectly capable of inhabiting and being inhabited by hell here on earth. C.S. Lewis, whom you know I like to quote a lot because I feel like if you try to say something that C.S. Lewis hasn't already said, it probably isn't worth saying. But in C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy, this, uh, this man who had valiantly survived the trenches of World War I and who had, who had moved in to take care of the mother of one of his comrades who died on the battlefield, who as far as we could tell before he becomes a Christian is living a, something of a noble life. Lewis describes what he finds in his own heart. Here's how he describes his, his own heart condition before his conversion. I found myself to be a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds, 
My name is Legion. Again, it's easier to see it in others than in yourself. Happy Father's Day. Uh, (laughs) I want to talk about myself and fatherhood for a couple of minutes. Early in my uh, seminary teaching career, my, my three sons were somewhere around eight, six, and four. I had come home from teaching one afternoon, and I was playing with them in the family room. And Mrs. Kidd must have seen something, something along the lines of, the man's body is there, but his mind is somewhere else. And so she took me aside after the kids had gone to bed, grabbed me metaphorically by the lapels and said, dude, and whenever she calls me dude, I know I'm in trouble. said, dude, there is only one human, human being on this earth who can be father to these children. And that man does not have 10 years to build his career before he turns around and say, okay, kids, now I'm ready to be your dad. They're going to be gone and they're going to be lost to you. You need to think about that. And I found myself just realizing in that moment that I had been so bent upon building a successful academic career, I was ignoring my kids. It was a stunning realization that night. And I'm forever grateful for Mrs. Kidd for that lapel grab and dude There's a false freedom that isn't really freedom. And yet, there's a freedom giver. Notice the Gerasene demons recognize Jesus. Now, he's already recognized them, and he's already begun to cast them out. And they know that their doom is sure. All they can do is try to negotiate their best demise. Now, there's a cosmic picture backstory to all that's going on here. It goes all the way back to Lucifer's prideful fall so nicely described to us in Paradise Lost. I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Or as Lewis says, you know, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Adam and Eve the insinuation between them of distrust and discontentment, disbelief in God. Then they become blame shifters and become ashamed of who they are. Their children, Cain and Abel, there's envy and murder, exile and alienation, all inspired, all inspired by a demonic realm. Jesus has come to reverse it all. We get preliminary pictures of the great reversal in Jesus' battle against the, in Jesus' we get preliminary pictures in Jesus' battle against the fall in his earthly ministry, beginning in the wilderness of temptation, extending through his exorcisms His healings, the healing of the blind, the lame, the mute, his raising of the dead, 
his taming of the storms, his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, thy will, not mine. His refusal to play the power card and call down the angels before Pilate. His submission to the thorny crown, the whip, the Via Dolorosa, the nails of the cross, his words of forgiveness, his provision for the mutual care of mother and beloved disciple, and his triumphant cry upon the cross, it is finished. And because the story was not in fact finished at the cross, but carried through to the resurrection, there comes from the third century church in Rome this prayer. He freely accepted the death to which he was handed over in order to destroy death and to shatter the chains of the evil one, to trample underfoot the powers of hell, and to lead the righteous into light, to fix the boundaries of death and to manifest the resurrection. For as explains Athanasius in the fourth century, Jesus hung in the air so he could defeat the prince of the power of the air. And his victory is a victory that is on offer to you and to me. And every wannabe dictator, every angry and lonely person who's tempted to blast everyone in sight, every insecure person obsessed with career, success, others' approval, Anybody crushed by self-loathing, anybody who feels that they have been cast out into a life among the tombs. There's a false freedom, there's a freedom giver, and there's a true freedom, a freedom that really is freedom. Back to the Gerasene demoniac, deliberative legion, he wants to follow Jesus, become a part of Jesus' merry band. Noble. But Jesus sends him home because that's where he's going to experience freedom. Now, going home surely means putting on some clothes. It probably means getting a job, maybe taking a wife, maybe having some kids. Certainly, it means telling everybody about Jesus. Right there, there's a little bit of the restoration of what was lost to us in the Garden of Eden. This person in possession of himself finally, given the gift of gratitude to God for who he is, restored to his own, restored to his home and all that comes with having a home. Not chains around his wrists and shackles around his ankles, but unbreakable bonds of love that move out from the heart, causing his hands and his feet to care for others and opening his mouth to tell the story of what God in Jesus has done to set him free. Back to me in fatherhood. The conversation with Mrs. Kidd uh, led the next day to a conversation with my boss and a reset of priorities. 
No more teaching summer school. No more doing international travel for a while to represent the seminary. Walking away and at significant professional costs from an academic writing project. Instead, giving myself for the next several years to coaching, becoming a Boy Scout leader. I mean, coaching, baseball, yeah, I loved. Soccer, I never learned to love it, but I coached it because that's what my kids were doing. To doing martial arts, to coming home and really playing with the kids and actually being there, just being a dad. For me, not being consigned to the chains of climbing the escalator led to a growing bond of companionship and trust with Mrs. Kidd. To now three kids grown up that I'm proud of and grateful for. And oh, by the way, just this week, grandchild number three, whoa. Three in one year, like triple woe. What do we do with this? At any rate, happy Father's Day. And there are so many different ways that this needs to get fleshed out in people's lives, but that's my story. In today's epistle, Paul gives us a picture. Before faith came, that is, before Jesus came, he says, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith, again, Jesus, was revealed. Here's a picture of movement from slavery to freedom. Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, elitist of elitists, seriously, a uniquely privileged Jew of his day, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, with enough clout to get the Sanhedrin to give him permission to go after the Christians. He had inherited Roman citizenship and was proud to have been raised in Tarsus. No mean city, he says. But his life gets turned upside down by Jesus. And he goes all over the Mediterranean basin, calling out the demonically driven wedge between God and humans and the demonically driven wedge between us by declaring Jesus as victor over sin and death and division, declaring freedom to all who would believe as he writes in this epistle, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom has been won by Christ. The message of today's epistle is straightforward. Just be baptized in his name and you become united to God, clothed with Christ and made part of a whole new human race where the old tribalisms are dead, where you are no longer mere sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, but you are all sons of Abraham and daughters of Sarah, where there is no Jew or Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Another happy for you today is happy Juneteenth. 
June 19, 1865, was an amazing day. As an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul's role is much like that of Major General Gordon Granger bringing the Emancipation Proclamation to Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865. General Granger's job was to bring to one of these last outposts of the defeated Confederacy, General Order Number 3 that says, quote, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. That first June 19th, General Granger went from street corner to street corner of Galveston, reading General Order Number 3, concluding with the reading in a church that had been founded in 1848 by enslaved African Americans and that would become the Reedy Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church, which stands still today. Implicit in the Emancipation Proclamation that had already been made a year and a half prior, implicit in the victory already won at Appomattox that April, implicit in the 13th Amendment to be freeing, ending slavery throughout the United States, implicit in the 13th Amendment to be ratified December of that year, 1865, no matter no matter the coming and persistent obstacles from Jim Crow to Dred Scott to redlining, the message is that this nation is committed to a way of living in which we honor and value one another. Amen? Really? Amen? Amen. Look, and it's significant to me, at least, that the final reading of General Order Number 3 took place that first Juneteenth in a church. Here in church, it doesn't matter where you're from. It matters where you're going because that's where we're going together. It doesn't matter your tribe. This is your family, your clan, your nation. No matter what a defeated devil does to try to undermine that reality as he did this week. I think of the grief being born this very moment by brothers and sisters of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, where a potluck supper was murderously interrupted, concerning which Fleming Rutledge, the great Episcopalian um, theologian and preacher sagely tweets, the ruler of this world, a.k.a. Satan, knows how gathering for meals strengthens the body of Christ. No matter what the evil one does to try to stand against the force that has already defeated him, you need to know that you matter to God, and therefore you matter to us. You matter to each other, and you matter to me. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, now and forever. Amen and amen.